Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy continues to preach from Acts chapter 11. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. We can be led to believe that we are too dirty from past sins or unworthy to be loved by the rejection of others. There may even be people who we can't forgive or whom we've labeled as beyond hope. Jesus died for everyone and proclaimed that every person is worthy of redemption. Jesus calls us to love everyone. So say yes to Jesus. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Say yes to the deep truth that God has made you clean. Say yes to the adventure of listening to God and obeying God. Say yes to the adventure of sharing the good news with people you might have even written off. Uh, if you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. I just hope that you feel so warmly welcomed here. Uh, we are just so grateful to have you. And uh, we believe three things as a church, and we see these three things all throughout Scripture. They happen over and over and over again. Um, this, uh, the, this, the core of who we are isn't uh, you do this, and then you graduate to this, and then this happens. You're doing all of these all at the same time. Does that make sense? And what we believe is this. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. There's never a point in your life when you are not welcome here. Today we're going to read a story about Peter uh, stepping into uh, the last person's house in the world that he should step into. And uh, what God says to him is, what I've made clean, don't call unclean. Y'all... You are cleansed and forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. There is hope beyond your brokenness. Amen? Amen. Second thing that we believe is that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And we trust Him. We listen to Him. We obey Him. We follow His guidance and direction because we are convinced that Jesus knows more than we do. Do you think He's smarter than you are? I mean, that's a head knowledge, right? But then our actions say, no, God, I got it. I'm fine. You're like that Bed Midler song. You're way out there in the distance, and I'll handle the details. No, 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 no. See, knowing Jesus is having him involved in every single step of your life. And that's where the joy comes from. That's where the power comes from, the Holy Spirit. That's where ministry happens and miracles break through because... Jesus wants an intimate, wonderful, trusting relationship with us. And that's the Holy Spirit is working that in your lives. And it's so exciting to see you guys do that. Then finally, we get to bring restoration. I shouldn't say finally. We're always bringing restoration, right? That's what we're doing. We don't have to wait until all our brokenness is fixed. Absolutely not. Otherwise, we'd never start, Um, right? So we bring restoration right where we are with the tools that we have, with the things that we have in front of us, with the gifts and talents that we have. And boy, is that happening in this place. Uh, It is just so amazing to watch God work. Each one of these truths has a choice attached to it. Uh, Because just like in any relationship, you have to actually choose to engage, yes? Yes. Right? And so uh, let's read this and declare this and once again choose this for our lives today. Here we go. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus 
in his resurrection work. Amen? You guys, you guys, today is the last week uh, that we're going to be in the book of Acts for a while. We'll come back. We'll finish it. Don't worry. Um, but we're going to be, we're, this is a, a good place to take a break because what we're doing is that we're, uh, we're finishing up a series of stories that Luke has in the Holy Spirit teaching us about the Holy Spirit. We've learned in the book of Acts so far that the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. The Holy Spirit gives us a brand new heart. He takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh so that you feel again, so that you have different desires again, yeah? And then he brings us into a community. There are no lone rangers in the Christian church. It does not work that way. You have to be in community because we're designed for it, yes? Listen to these little kids playing outside right now, right? Okay, they're designed to be, they're designed to play together. The worst days of my life were being all alone as a little kid, right? We're designed to be together. And then finally, uh, or not finally, then the, what the Holy Spirit does is it begins to l- lead us to learn how to trust His voice and to be generous and to be kind. And uh, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. It never works out. Um, And then we see all of these different stories about how the Holy Spirit gives us courage and boldness in the face of heartache and and, and a heart that says, I'm, my heart is going to be tender. My heart is going to be full of love no matter what pain comes my way. That's only the Holy Spirit can do that. Yeah? And then finally, what the Holy Spirit does and shows us in, in these, not finally what he does, but what the Holy Spirit is showing us and what Luke is showing us in these passages is all these people that we never thought could get saved are getting saved. So um, they go to Utah, and there's a palm reader in Utah. That's a Samaritan sorcerer. His name is Simon, right? And if there's ever a Mormon palm reader, right, um, you'd never think that that person would get saved, but that's who gets saved. And then there's a a lawyer and a government official, right? The Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, can you imagine if a lawyer came to know Jesus? I mean, it would be a miracle, right? But then somebody who like worked in Sacramento and was like the secretary of, or in Washington, even worse, right? You know, like if they came to know Jesus, that, that was the Ethiopian eunuch. He got saved. Uh, and, and beyond that, he's a mutilated guy, never allowed in church. And so Jesus brings church to him with Philip. And then what happens? Does anybody remember? This is last week. What is it? The what? He got baptized. It was absolutely incredible, right? And then Philip goes, he's gone, right? Uh, remember that? That was. And then uh, what happens is then uh, last week, uh, who got saved last week? Does anybody remember? Saul. So here's a guy that is actually actively killing Christians, and God knocks him off his high horse, right? Literally makes him blind opens his eyes and his heart, and that's who gets saved. And if you thought those people were impossible to be saved, just wait till this week, okay? The Holy Spirit is constantly shattering the categories of who we think is lovable and loved by God. And that's so important for you and I. 
Because the thing that we're learning how to do in this church is to be vulnerable, but the thing that our culture teaches us how to be experts in is to pretend and hide. And so all the things done to us and all the things that we've done, we choose not to be honest about. And we need these moments where we watch God save people who we think, oh, they'll never be saved. And secretly what we're saying is, well, I'm just like them, and I'll never be saved too. So Peter, Peter the knucklehead, Peter the, uh, given a nickname by Jesus as in, get behind me, Satan. Peter, the eighth grade educated junior high dropout turned commercial fisherman, Peter. Peter who could never get it right. Peter who's restored on the Sea of Galilee over fish tacos with Jesus. Peter who is learning how to stand into this passion that he has to preach the gospel. This Peter is at the center of today's story. Peter begins to heal like Jesus did. Peter begins to teach like Jesus did. Peter begins to lead like Jesus did. And Peter begins to do the things that Jesus does. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is in our life. We start smelling, acting, talking, looking, giving, healing, praying, worshiping like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Over your life is a sign that says under construction. In heaven, it will say finished. Jesus is turning you into the spitting image of himself. That's what God does through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's read what happens to Peter next. This is Acts chapter 9. We're picking up right where we left off last week. Let's read. Ready? This became known all over Joppa. Wait a minute. What became known? I cheated. I skipped 35 verses. What became known as this, Peter prays for a woman named Tabitha who dies, and then what happened? She rises again, and God resurrects this woman. It's absolutely incredible. I'll never forget my friend Brian Cosby telling me a story. He was in Guatemala. He's hanging out with his host family. His host family, the, the dad there, hears that his father's in the hospital. They live up the mountain in Guatemala. The hospital's down in bottom of the mountain in Guatemala, and... Uh, and they get word, uh, you know, grandpa died. And the dad, whose father had just passed away, goes, nah, he didn't. And then he goes to the hospital. His dad is dead as a doornail. And he starts pacing around the room praying. And he's saying, the spirit of the Lord has not testified to me that my father has died. And he's getting louder and louder and louder. And everybody's like, oh, my, you know. It's a bummer. Sometimes people have a hard time with grief. They're trying to take the body away. Brian's host family dad won't leave his father's bed, praying, 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 praying. Five hours later, you know what happens? Grandpa rises again. This became all known over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Read verse 43 with me. This is an absolutely awful verse in the New Testament. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Excuse? Anybody ever 
stayed with a tanner. This is not someone who owns a tanning beds. Okay. This is a tanner. Tanner is someone who takes the hides of animals, processes them, and turns them into leather. Okay? It's a house filled with stench and death and horrible smells of all the lies and salts, of all the washes and baths, of all the rotten meat that you have to scrape off, and the horrible smell of all of the things that go along with slaughtering an animal and cleaning its hide. Rabbis made one exception for a woman to end her engagement that her parents arranged. And that is if her parents arranged her to marry a tanner. That was her veto power. Because everybody knew that the last person that you want to live with is a tanner. Why? Because you're stanky. Mm-mm. There ain't no amount of smell that's going to cover that up, right? We were laughing last night when we went to Florida this last, uh, <laughs> this last Christmas. Uh, we went to Florida, took the kids to Disney World, and God bless April Rock, um, but Jonah had, um, he went number two, somewhere over Wichita. <laughs> My son's 17, disabled. They go to the bathroom. It's like Tommy Boy trying to get dressed in the uh, plain bathroom. It's an absolute disaster. She comes back, um, and she sits down, and she's crying, and Jonah sits down, and there is a smell. Uh, and it's because uh, that bathroom and her and Jonah were covered head to toe. Um, and. No, you don't have to feel bad. It was funny. Uh, I mean, it, you, could, you could feel bad when we are on the plane, but we were joking last night. They for sure converted that plane into like a FedEx cargo because there ain't no way that smell was ever getting out of that plane. You could just see it. Like when they came out of that door, like everybody's all... Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm staying with a tanner, right? Like, it's just this wall of mm that's coming forward, okay? I love this. What does this say about Peter, that he stays with the tanner? Peter has a deep affection for a guy that no one believes in and no one wants to be with. That's exactly how Peter felt after he denied Jesus three times. When you are captured by the truth of the gospel, that you are more broken than you'd want to admit, but you're more loved than you ever dare you could, that you could hope, the very places in which you have failed are no longer denied or defended or resisted or pushed away. When you understand that Jesus loves the most broken and wretched part of you, the most disgusting and revolting part of your story, then you can love someone who has the exact same scars or the same failures. Amen? Amen. So Peter stays with another Simon who stinks just as bad as he does. And little did Peter know that the Holy Spirit is going to use his tender heart to help even more people. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. That's the context. Here we go. Are you ready? Let's read together. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion... 
So Cornelius would have been in charge of a lot of men. Um, some people say that centurions were in charge of like 80 men. That'd be like three platoons of soldiers. Some centurions were in charge of a thousand men. So Cornelius is, you know, somewhere in that range, but he's in uh, Caesarea, which is a major metropolitan area. He would have been, a, 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 he would have done the hard work of basically being a mayor and also ch police chief of that city. Um, and so he, he was hip deep in the grime of police work, tax collection, law enforcement, generally trying not to be killed by a local population that was constantly on the verge of re result, revolt and also resentment towards the occupying force, a.k.a. the Italians. Right? Nobody loved the Italians. When they occupy, doesn't matter how good the pasta is, right? They're an occupying force. Cornelius is a Roman. He's a centurion. He's an Italian. You can't get any more Roman than that. And so how would Cornelius view the Jewish people? How would the Jewish people view Cornelius? This is the last guy in the world who would be saved. Why? Because he doesn't kill and oppress and rob and destroy people's lives like Paul did out of a zealousness to protect God. For him, it's just out of malice and profit. He's the last person on the world, face of the planet, that any Jew thought God would save. He's nothing but an animal in their eyes. Worse than a tanner. Let's read more about Cornelius. Verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. What? What? God-fearing. This is like a, like, a, like a convert almost. And this is what's even crazier. Are you ready? They went to church. They did the whole synagogue thing. They loved church. And here's what's even more nuts. Read the rest of the sentence with me. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Oh, snap. It wasn't just sort of like, a, I believe in God as God is an idea out there, like sort of like I believe in the force, right? Right? Or like I believe in dieting, right? It's just sort of like a, a concept that I think is good, but I don't practice in my life at all, right? That God is real, right? So what Cornelius does is he actually has his belief, and this is what faith is. Faith is, is always action, just like love is always an action. The worst moments in our life is when people talk about love as though it's a concept in the sky rather than a commitment and an action that you have in your life. And Cornelius prays to God regularly, daily, and then out of that prayer comes an abundance of generosity, which you would never expect from someone who's collecting taxes or enforcing laws. Verse 3. Read with me. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Oh, jeez. Cornelius is speaking to God. Now God is speaking to him. Verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Yeah, you would do that if a 30-foot-tall angelic being came and said, Hey. Hey, you. 
Yeah, you. Stop it, Tim, right now. <laughs> Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answers, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. This is a technical offering as an offering of thanksgiving to God as a, a worship. You could have offerings for different reasons, like forgiveness, reconciliation, praying for other people, healing. And there was always an offering just for thanksgiving. And what God is saying to Cornelius is, I see you worshiping me. I hear you worshiping me and honoring me. I know you. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with the... Cornelius would be like, excuse, what? He's staying with who? You want, you want me to send people to Joppa to get a Jew? Staying with another Jew who's a tanner? What? Cornelius is stunned. Why is God paying attention to me? And then he's saying, send people to go bring back two Simons. Right? Well, Cornelius is a man who prays. Cornelius is a man who puts his money and his actions in line with his beliefs, and he obeys. Learn from Cornelius. If you want to hear God, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom and actually do what God wants, which always leads to incredible, amazing miracles, you're going to need your heart and your mind engaged in prayer regularly. I can't do that for you. I can't preach prayer into your bones. That's a choice that you're going to have to make to daily, moment by moment, asking Jesus what's next by taking time. Paul, our associate pastor, has a doctorate in all kinds of ways that you can pray if you need structure. If you're not a structure person and you're just, you can do it free form, then go. Know that however, whatever you pray, help. That's a great prayer. They always go through the ceiling. They always reach God. No matter how weak or feeble it is, you don't want to miss out on making a difference in God's kingdom. You don't want to do that with your actions either. And so often what we do is we think, Oh, my actions don't matter all that much. They do. And when we dabble a little sin here or a little bit of entitlement here or a little bit of selfishness here, what we're doing is that we're practicing with our actions, not actually following through with what God has for us. And then when God actually speaks to us and says, do this, you know what we will do? We will go, ooh. We will hesitate. Because we're used to this, doing this over here, but we will hesitate in doing what God wants us to do. And even in the hesitation, we can miss timing moments. Now, God's going to give us a lot, a lot, a lot of chances. I mean, that's life. It's just an endless series of chances for you to step into that place of, of prayer and obedience. And as you do, amazing things happen. Always learn from an Italian, Roman Centurion living in Caesarea. Verse 7. 
When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. This is awesome. Okay, interns, let's go. And I'm going to put you with another one of his Roman soldiers who is also devout, which means that Cornelius has been praying with the people that, he, that work for him. That's so cool. Verse 8, he told them everything about what had happened, sends them to Joppa. Verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. I love how Luke tells this story. He's obviously interviewed Cornelius. He's interviewed Peter about the whole thing. And Peter lays this all out like it's a Hollywood movie. It's fantastic, right? So the servants are on the road to Joppa, which is uh, west. It's on the, Joppa's on the coast. Caesarea is just a little bit inland, right? So they're walking from San Luis Obispo to Avila Beach, okay? And as they're walking from San Luis Obispo to Avila Beach, the sh- scene shifts to Avila Beach, and there's Peter on the rooftop because it's hot, and he's praying. Ah, Peter and Cornelius share something in common. They're both praying. How interesting. Verse 10. Read with me. And wanted something to eat. That's rare in a tanner's house because it'd be like, nope, 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 right? They didn't have any chips. They didn't have nothing. It was just like, you know, the smell must have been overwhelming. So he's on the roof to escape the smell because he can't be inside at noon in a tanner's house. You picking up what I'm putting down? You don't, you don't want to be in that house. You know what I mean? So he's on the roof, and he's like, oh, my appetite's back. I love it. (laughs) And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. It's amazing. All the animals that Jews aren't supposed to eat are on that tarp, right? And Jesus is saying, have some meat candy. Bacon's amazing, right? Have some tandoori chicken. It's okay to, you know, use some milk in your preparation for your food. It's all right, you know? Have a lobster. He's on the coast. Mm. Maybe even a reptile. Fried alligator is delicious. Allegedly, I've never had it, right? And what's Peter's response? Verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So if you want me to put impure or unclean things into my body, God, I am not going to do that, okay? Verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Read with me loudly. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Oh, snap. Verse 16, I love it. Uh, this happened. Peter's like, uh-uh, mm-mm. no, what? This is not from you, Jesus. Jesus is like, eat the bacon. And Peter's like, I don't do unclean things. And Jesus is like, it's clean. Don't stop calling it unclean. Peter's like, mm-mm, nope. Again and again and again. Can I just say something about our stubbornness for a moment? 
We don't like listening to Jesus at times. We don't want him to direct our path. We're much more comfortable going our own way. We think in terms of formulas. If uh, this worked in the past, that must mean that now I'll do it now until forever. There's sometimes when Jesus says, no, it's actually time to change. It's actually time to grow. It's actually time to change your opinions about things. It's actually time to move forward in life. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as opposed to, I'm going to give you a formula once and you're going to apply it to the rest of your life so you never have to trust me again. Does that make sense? That's why we need to pray with Jesus all the time, as opposed to waking up in the morning like other religions that say, whatever I do today must be the will of God because whatever I do, God is allowing. That's how Muslims think, inshallah. Whatever I do must be the will of God because he's allowing it. That's not how God works. God wants to be in a relationship with you because he's got things for you to do, people for you to love, situations for you to make a difference in, stuff that he wants to do with your own heart that you actually have to listen to in real time. That's called faith. So what's getting in the way of you surrendering that everyday trust to Jesus? Well, I know what it's been for me. For me, it's been years of fear. For, year, for me, it's been years of feeling worthless and unloved. And an amazing moment in the prayer retreat. Uh, I guess it was two Fridays ago. And my life has been changed forever. In that moment, my friend Debbie, who does the prayer retreat, is Zed's mom and I, we do that together. And I'm the guinea pig on Friday night. And, and so I go through what everybody else goes through on Saturday. And I was a crying, blubbering mess. And on Friday, I was able to let go of and forgive and then be healed from 40 plus years of feeling absolutely unloved and worthless. It was amazing. It was amazing. What are you afraid of? If you really listen to God about that situation, about that relationship, about what to do next, what are you afraid will happen? Can we reject that lie? I reject the lie that Jesus won't take care of me if I trust him. Ready? I reject the lie that Jesus won't take care of me if I trust him. What do you guys want instead? How about some trust? Jesus, I trust that you will take care of me. Jesus, I trust that you will take care of me. That's logical. He didn't die on the cross to not take care of you. He didn't die on the cross and go, I love you, I'm with you always, just kidding. Right? God has good things for you. What is that thing that's getting in the way? I know the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now. Is it the fear that you won't have enough? Is it the fear you'll be alone? Is it the fear that you'll get hurt again? What is it? Is it the fear that you'll be alone again? Is it the fear that it's not really going to work out? Is it the fear that, you know, this works for everybody else except me? What is it? Can you hold that just for a moment? Can you hold on to that just for a moment? And say, Jesus, this isn't working for me right now. It's from the pit of hell. I don't want it anymore. Yeah. Verse 19. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, <laughs> God's talking to him three times, massive vision for heaven. Peter's like, okay. Or maybe he was thinking about recipes. I don't know. Right? The Spirit has said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Why does the Holy Spirit show up and tell Peter this? Why? Because police are about to show up at his door. Roman soldiers are about to show up at his door. And Peter has a long history with Roman soldiers after the crucifixion of trying his very best to avoid them because he doesn't want to get crucified like his friend Jesus. Does that make sense? What's crazy is that Peter welcomes them in, and then they're Gentiles, and he welcomes them into a Jewish house. Sure, it's a tanner's house, so that's, you know, not saying much, but still, Peter and Simon the tanner welcome them into the house, and they stay overnight, which is crazy. And then all together in the morning, they leave to go to Caesarea to Cornelius' place. C.S. Lewis wrote this, next to the blessed sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Next to the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, literally, as we drink and eat and remember that we are absolutely loved, next to that holy, intimate, profound moment, the most sacred person and sacred moment that you'll have is your neighbor. I don't want to believe that, though. I want to believe that I'm, how, I'm somehow a little bit better, a little bit cleaner than my neighbors. When we lived in Los Osos, uh, I'll never forget, I was looking online uh, for an Airbnb close to our house for friends to stay at, and my neighbor's van showed up. <laughs> it was a 1974 Chevy, rusted out, like panel van, you know, with like the leopard, like point painted on the side, like the shag carpet on the inside. It was 20 bucks a night to stay in my neighbor's van. My neighbor had nine cars. Their garage door would not shut because there was so much stuff avalanching out that stuff. Like the, the, their son would sit on the roof of their house and stare into our house while he, and sometimes just shoot his BB gun into our house trying to kill whatever. And it was just like, this is my neighbors. These were my neighbors. You know what I thought about my neighbors? I'm better than them. That's for sure. How many people are better than your neighbors, right? Let's just be honest, okay? Oh, there's two people who raised their hand. You better raise your hand right now because you have people in your neighborhood that you're like, how come you just don't wash your car? Why don't you just roll the lawn? Why do, why, does your, why do you always let your dog poop on my lawn, right? Like, what is this, right? I cannot stand this music. We are, and our neighbors now behind us, they mariachi bands all the time. I'm not even kidding you. This is fabulously wealthy um, family, and they have bounce houses and all these crazy parties. And now I like mariachi music. Why? Because if I didn't, I'd go insane. Okay? So I, I like mariachi music right now, right? 
But you need to understand, and this is something that I've had to live with for years. Well, I shouldn't say I've had to. I've chosen this insanity for years because I've never wanted to admit my deep feelings of worthlessness, but I've chosen the shield of pride. And pride says, literally, I'm better than other people. Now, you voted wrong, so I'm better than you. Right? I did six more sit-ups this month than you did, so I'm better than you. Your breath stinks, so I'm better than you. Did you see what she wore? That was a choice. Thank God I'm better than her. It's just pride. It's just pride. Because I don't want to actually believe, well, I don't want to come into contact with the truth that I don't believe the gospel and those places of my heart. Because if I lost my pride, then I know that it would just be a free fall into terror. See, the, the people that we call unclean, what we're just seeing is that is it, it's more comfortable to, to say that that person's unclean than to admit that I really do feel the same way about my own soul. And Jesus is starting to tell Peter, listen, I want you to stay at an unclean house, and then I'm going to have you eat unclean food, and then I'm going to have you invite unclean Romans into that unclean house, and then I'm going to have you go to an unclean city to meet an unclean man named Cornelius. And Peter, his mind is exploding right now because he doesn't want to be associated with that person or that movement or that political party or ideology or that culture that he thinks is absolutely awful. Verse 25, this is a miracle verse. Read it with me. As Peter entered the house, what? Wait, 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 what? What? that Peter crossed the threshold of an unclean house. This is nuts. What does Cornelius do? Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Does that happen to you when you go over to the mayor's house? Does that happen to you when you go over to the police chief's house? The police chief just fall on his knees and say, as an act of worship? Cornelius should look down at Peter. He's just one of those stinking rotten Jews. He has to deal with all day long. Instead, Cornelius falls at his feet. But Peter made him get up. He's like, we're not doing that. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of unclean people. Oh, criminy. What? I thought I was just going to deal with one unclean man and we'd never speak of this moment again. <laughs> Instead, Peter has to deal with a large gathering of unclean people. The house is packed. 
And he said to them all, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me, read with me, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You're not impure or unclean. You're not. I know, I know your hearts. Your hearts are just like my heart. And we prosecute ourselves all the time for what we've done. We prosecute ourselves all the time for what's been done to us. And we say, I just feel stuck, I feel stained. And stuff happens in life where it's like, oh my gosh, I've infected them again. Oh my gosh, I've done the same thing again and I just feel terrible. You ever have foot and mouth disease? <laughs> right? I said it again, I didn't mean it. Oh, but I did and I hate that part of my heart that does. What is going on with me? So we work and we work and we work and we work and we work to try and become clean. And the hope of the gospel is this, is that Jesus has made you clean now. And you don't have to do anything to make yourself clean. You are clean now in Christ. Right now, the blood of Jesus has wiped away all of the sin committed against you, all of the abuse that you've suffered, all of the things that you've done or not done that you should have. You are forgiven and made clean right now. Somebody say amen. And that is the hope of the gospel. And what else could be our response but to fall on our knees and say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And we repent. We stop berating ourselves and we stop berating in other people. That tool of condemnation is no longer working for your heart or other people because there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's done. We give it up. The right to be our own judge and other people's judges. We give it up. That's what it means to forgive. We let go of the right to forgive, to judge. That's what we do. I will no longer be the one who condemns. I will no longer be the one who resents myself or anybody else. I have been made clean. They have been made clean. We're in the same boat. Imagine a tarp stretched north, south, east, west. Now pile on that tarp all the people that you've written off. And all the little four corners of your little world. All the people that you've called unclean or impure. Jesus has made them clean. He says they're mine. I've died for them too. The great Dutch pastor and theologian Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. 
God claims us all. Jesus has died for us all. Faith is accepting this and living out of this. Listen, some of you struggle with your weight, okay? I do too. (laughs) By struggle, I mean I eat without worry. We know that if you've ever tried to lose weight, the first thing that you do can't be from a place of constant condemnation in yourself. You actually have to come to a place where you're willing to love yourself and that will be the fuel that you will need to work out and to change the diet patterns that you have in your life and to start taking care of yourself. That's how we know. All all of every single dietitian, every single workout expert, every single psychologist, every single um, motivational speaker and life coach always starts with that notice. Condemnation and shame won't be the fuel that will sustain a workout for months and years, okay? It'll get you to the gym three times in January, right? But no times in February, March, April, May, June, July, August, November, right? Okay? Condemnation and shame won't change you. It's not the fuel that will change you. Right? When we feel guilt about what we've done, that's supposed to be for a moment to affirm that we are not a sociopath, to lead us to then repentance. There is no more condemnation and shame from God towards you. We learn to love each other. We learn to be loved. That's the way forward. Peter says all this. This is the gospel that he preaches. Read Acts. It's absolutely amazing. Verse 44. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is incredible. They give their lives to Christ. This is absolutely amazing. All these people, Italians, Romans, Centurions, the support staff, the family, All the people who should not know God are now saved. Can somebody say Shazam? (laughs) This does not make sense. This would seem is like the biggest miracle of people who could be saved. Yes? But then Acts chapter 11 rolls around, and we're going to take three minutes to talk about an entire chapter because the rest of Acts chapter 11 is a repetition of this entire story. Why? Because when Peter rolls into Jerusalem... Um, you know who comes up to him? Church people. Like, hey, 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 hey. Um, I heard, saw on Facebook, you went into an Italian Roman centurion's house after staying with a tanner. What the H-E double hockey sticks, Peter. <laughs> now I'm hearing you're eating bacon wrapped shrimp. You go to Denny's regularly? You're ordering the bacon burrito at Huckleberry's? What is going on? You can't do that. That's wrong. I thought you were a good Jew. You're following a good Jewish Messiah, the Jesus. What is wrong with you? And Peter, Peter tells them the entire story of what had happened. And he says... Well, I preached the gospel to them, and they got the Holy Spirit. And all the church people, all the church people are like, hmm, hmm. So Peter says this. I love this. This is his mic drop moment. This is his moment. Are you ready? Peter says this. So if God gave them 
the same gift he gave us. Wait, wait, wait. If God gave all the unclean people the same gift that he gave us, if God gave all the people that we deemed unclean and wretched and horrible and lost and forever out the same gift that he gave us, his Holy Spirit, if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, read with me, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Woo! Drop. I'm done. I'm out. Because this is the end of Luke's amazing section in the book of Acts of impossible people God saves. And you know what the crescendo of the story is? It's not the Italian, Roman, centurion. It's not the tanner. You know who are the group of people that are the most impossible to save on planet Earth? Church people. It's church people. It's people who would bar the door to the Ethiopian. It's people who would write off Saul. It's people who would never associate with a tanner even if they love Jesus, is people who would say, now, I know what the world says. I know what my long tradition in church says. Those people are out. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Because I'm the Roman. I'm the Ethiopian. I'm the tanner. I'm Saul. And so are you. And since God can save them, he can save us. And there's this amazing moment in the church, and this is going to fuel the expansion. The church would go from 25 people to 25,000 people to 25 million people in 200 years in Rome, and it would then become the majority of the Roman population to the point where the emperor, Constantine, is like, I think I'll become a Christian and then win the vote and then uh, we'll be fine, right? Right? It's the same thing is happening in China right now. China has a billion people. There are over 350 million Christians in China right now. It's only a couple of more decades until we think, we all think that China's the big threat. It's not even going to be the threat. It's going to be the largest evangelical movement of the world. It'll be us. It'll be us in America that are becoming more and more and more and more pagan. That's the trend. And here we are in the front lines, deep behind enemy lines in the wretched state of California. <laughs> Lost in utter darkness, surrounded by unclean and impure people. It's the only thing worse would be to be in Bakersfield, <laughs> right? And we left there and then found that somehow the dirty nickel, that's the five cities, <laughs> is even more unclean than in Bakersfield. It's nice weather, but the people are way more lost. Why? 
because all y'all have come from San Francisco and San Jose and Fresno and Los Angeles, and you've retired here or you've come here and you've thought, I'm fine. And it's the hardest people on planet Earth to save. And now you're here. You've said yes to Jesus. The power and the presence of the gospel has come into you because why? Verse 18, when they heard all this, they had no further objections. And they said, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted, read with me, repentance that leads to life. Your living repentance for your neighbors, loving them, entering into their houses, crossing their thresholds, inviting them into yours, loving them, caring for them, sacrificing for them, forgiving for them, praying for them, it will change their lives. And then that dirty nickel, five cities, will become a place where every single person here will know I have been made clean by Jesus because she loved me, because he cared, because they listened. You're doing it. You're doing it. I see you. You're doing it. Go, 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 go. Let's go. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you, my friends, who waited 15 minutes longer than they should have to get out of church, but I had things to say. <laughs> Lord, bless them, protect them, guard their hearts, guard their lives, fill them with your spirit now, Lord Jesus. We say yes to you. We say yes as a people. We will no longer get in the way of who you want us to love. We will no longer bar the door. We say yes to Jesus. We say yes to you loving the parts of our heart that we've so long declared as unclean and unsavable. We offer our hearts to you, Jesus. We love you. We're so grateful for you. We praise you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given us, the people in our lives that just remind us how lovely we are. Lord, use us to do the same for others this week. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Oh, I love you guys. Would you stand for the benediction? We have incredible food for you outside. If you would like to get prayer, our prayer team will pray for you this morning. If you want to go across the street and talk about how to do this in your life, that's what Table Talk is all about. They'll start in 15 minutes. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you. Give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.